Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Miro. We're expecting a second vote on President Biden's coronavirus relief package tomorrow. The president campaigned primarily on bringing COVID-19 under control as well as bringing the U.S. economy back to life. But the package includes other progressive initiatives uh, to do things like tackle child poverty, things that might make a real difference here in the Bay Area. Let's talk about that more with Representative Barbara Lee of Oakland. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Very happy to be with you today. So, so tell me, how do you feel about this bill as it is now? After all the haggling and the compromises, what parts thrill you most? What parts bother you most? Well, yeah, I tell you, it was worth all of the um, negotiations, which are always really, really very tough when you have uh, a wide spectrum of points of views within our own Democratic caucus. And then, of course, uh, trying to negotiate with the Republicans to make it a bipartisan bill. But having said that, uh, I think it's a transformative bill. Um, What is so um, exciting about it, first of all, is that it addresses people's lives and livelihoods. We have resources in the, um, excuse me, in the bill for testing. Uh, We have explicit language for underserved populations as it relates to our COVID-related activities in our uh, black and brown communities. We have a billion dollars for funding vaccine uh, confidence and access uh, activities. We've uh, developed uh, a workforce provision, and all of this comes from my COVID Community Care Act, which um, the Black, Hispanic, Asia Pacific American, and Native American women developed with the support of our speaker. Uh, we put in $7.66 billion to expand the public health workforce, which will fund our nonprofits to recruit, hire, and train individuals who are linguistically and culturally relevant and appropriate for um, medically underserved communities. And so we additionally included more funding for community health centers, for mobile health units, and for all of the the requirements for access to deal with our healthcare system, which of course has structural racism at its core. Uh, Next we did- 
Yes. Uh -huh. I want to get to that in just a moment, but I do want to encourage people to call in. We've got Congresswoman Barbara Lee here, and she is ready to take your questions. So pick up that phone and dial 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And then back, of course, to the topic of structural racism in the healthcare uh, industry. Uh, so, so tell us again, what is it in this bill that is really going to try to tackle that? Well, finally, we have a focus and have targeted uh, funding, uh, not just to the state and the county, but uh, the federal legislation will say we're uh, insisting that they contract and provide grants to community-based organizations and uh, faith-based organizations and nonprofits, which are on the ground looking out for communities which have historically been underserved. And it's very seldom that you see um, targeted resources. Actually, in the last survival pa package, we did get $300 million out of $2.8 billion for direct funding for black and brown communities, which historically, again, have had to deal with uh, structural racism in the healthcare system. So we're trying to dis uh, dismantle and uh, disable those systems uh, so that we can have more equity in uh, this, the response finally to this COVID pandemic, which has been a heavy lift because uh, oftentimes we don't get the broad base of support that we were able to get this time, making sure people understood that the virus was disproportionately uh, being contracted and uh, people were dying from it at disproportionate rates in, in black and brown communities. So uh, they, they heard our call. Uh, and of course, the vice president, Kamala Harris and President Biden really get it and understand it. And so we had to build that kind of support in our caucus for that. And um, our speaker really was phenomenal in how she made sure that these provisions were included. So I think this is one step in the right direction to really highlight why we have to have a more equitable healthcare system. I, I just want to hit on that question about building consensus. I mean, the absence of one Republican senator from Alaska meant that Kamala Harris didn't have to break a tie in the Senate, but she had to do that just to allow the Senate to begin debate on this bill. Is this what the next two years is going to look like, Congresswoman? Well, it's going to be challenging. I certainly hope not. But uh, Republicans have got to um, understand that where there's a will, there's a way. And of course, I've always supported ending this filibuster. Uh, we've got to do that uh, by any means necessary, because we have Democrats have the House, the Senate and the White House. And there is no reason that we should not be able to deliver to our constituents and to the American people. And so with the filibuster being a roadblock, we've got to figure out how to disrupt that roadblock. And um, we will do that. We have to fight now for the increase of the minimum wage. Uh, I was very disappointed that we couldn't overrule the parliamentarian and keep that in the bill. But, you know, myself, uh, former Congressman Keith Ellison, Senator Sanders, we were all out in 2014, 2015 champion legislation to raise the minimum wage. We went all around the country organizing with our uh, labor members and with 
grassroots organizations. And so for me, uh, $15 is just the floor. Quite frankly, we need a living wage, but people shouldn't have to live off of $7.25 an hour poverty wages and work full time and still uh, have to rely on SNAP benefits, Section 8 housing and um, the social safety net. And finally, I'll just say on that, um, it, the public has got to understand, and they, I think, well, the Republicans in, in the Senate have got to understand and in the House that this saves taxpayer dollars because working for poverty wages means that you're, you're below the poverty line and you have to pay for people just to survive through the social safety net. So we're going to get this done sooner or later, but I was very disappointed about that. Well, we're getting questions in. I'm going to get to uh, the first one in just a moment, but I do want to encourage you, if you want to talk to Congresswoman Barbara Lee, now is the time to give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'll say it again, 866-733-6786. You can also email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And with that, I'm going to get to Banu's question. What is Barbara Lee doing to bring affordable home ownership at entry level for California, especially in her district, Alameda County. And uh, please ask her to be specific. <laughs> That's a very good question, because uh, first of all, uh, being specific right now uh, requires me to say that we've had four years of Ben Carson over at the Housing and Urban Development uh, Agency. And so finally, we will have a good friend, uh, a secretary, Marsha Fudge, once confirmed uh, to be secretary of HUD. And uh, having said that, she is very committed to many of our home ownership strategies. For example, we have um, programs that we need to enact where people can um, get mortgages with low interest or, or no interest that are not subprime loans, but are based on income level. We have uh, recommendations for housing trust funds where individuals or, or a trust can buy the land uh, and individuals purchase their home, which reduces the cost of the purchase of a home. Uh, I actually championed the Housing Trust Fund. It was my legislation years ago, and Senator Sanders co-sponsored that. Uh, and we have to build up the HUD Department of Housing and Urban Development so that we can provide uh, strategies for affordable housing that include home ownership. Uh, we know that the only way most people acquire any wealth, any equity, uh, or acquire wealth is through the equity in their homes. And so home ownership uh, is a big issue. We're working with Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters right now. She chairs the Financial Services Committee. There's several bills pending that we have to get through Congress before uh, we can you know, implement and get those bills signed. But right now with the new Secretary of HUD, I'm confident that we're gonna have new measures. But being specific about what uh, right now uh, we have to, I would say, um, repair the damage of the past four years because they decimated all of the home ownership programs. Although many of the issues people have with HUD in California go stretch back long beyond the Trump administration. I'm thinking of the housing crisis and the financial crisis and the way that really targeted a lot of communities of color, in particular in Alameda County. Uh, how can we uh, make uh, changes at HUD to ensure that it's it's a more relevant player in markets like we see in California? Well, we have to make sure, first of all, that uh, eviction assistance and uh, the issues around renters uh, are addressed because I have a bill uh, calling for renters' bill of rights. Renters have 
we have many, many issues in our district as it relates to affordable uh, housing in general and also for the unsheltered population. So we have to look at this in a holistic and comprehensive and intersectional uh, fashion where we have to have access to home ownership. We have to have make, make sure that our unsheltered people are housed and we have to make sure that rents are affordable. And so we have to go back to the drawing board. We have to uh, ex implement new ways of doing this because these subprime lenders, they came in and in black and brown communities, I know in East Oakland and West Oakland, they just ripped us off and people lost their homes. And uh, many had to move out of my district. And we did put forward, and I think we need to uh, refund this, the neighborhood stabilization program where people who were uh, renting could get loans from HUD and purchase those homes and, and the money to rehab them and, and the owners would re be able to sell those homes to the renters and uh, make a decent profit. So that was the neighborhood stabilization program that we put in place like eight or 10 years ago. So we need to actually uh, implement that, but that was not done really effectively during this last administration. So Jeffrey on Twitter asks, perhaps you could ask Lee about what she's doing for the district she represents, which for the last year has been suffering through a daily and nightly rise in violent crime, the constant presence of gunfire, weekly sideshows that disrupt entire neighborhoods, the increase in homeless encampments, there's a lot of stuff in here, and regular fires at those encampments. Uh, so she, you know, he's saying it's marvelous. You have national issues you want to promote, but what are you doing for the people in Oakland? Well, I hope that my national issues that I'm promoting, such as making sure people in Oakland get their enhanced, uh, unemployment benefits and the $1,400 direct assistance that people in Oakland benefit from what I'm doing here in Washington, DC, because everything is about my district. I'm not on the local council or county board of supervisors, but I certainly fight for funding for local efforts uh, as it relates to all of these issues. That's my job, that's my role. As it relates to gun violence, again, this week, we're trying to um, close the Charleston loophole. We're trying to uh, pass gun violence legislation here in Washington, DC, that would be st national standards for uh, guns, for assault weapons, and for all of the issues we know that are seen on the streets of America in terms of uh, urban um, urban violence. Uh, we're trying to pass, and I'm doing this uh, very fast, hopefully this year, the 1039 program that allows the transfer of weapons of war to police departments. We're trying here, again, at the le federal level, to stop that from happening. That affects people in my district, but we have to have the federal law to stop these transfer of weapons so that they don't get to the streets in my district. And so I'm doing everything I can do on a federal level to help people in my districts, uh, but just know I have to work with our local officials to make sure the federal funds and the federal strategies are used appropriately. Well, and we, we sort of hinted at this earlier uh, that, you know, racial inequities and in health care, housing, employment, education, mass incarceration, we could go on and on. Um, all of these have led you and Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey to reintroduce a resolution 
urging the U.S. government to establish a commission to examine systemic racism. What's the status on that? Is that something that's going to happen? Do you have hopes that it will really sort of push push the envelope in any way? Yes, I do. You know, we introduced it last year with the late, our beloved Congressman John Lewis. Uh, it's called Truth, U.S. Commission on Truth, Racial Healing, Transformation, over 40 countries in the world, you know, after horrific acts of genocide, slavery, uh, just crimes against humanity. They established these commissions to address, to get to the bottom and root causes of what is taking place. So fast forward to America. We've never had a, a truth commission. And it's time we do that. Uh, it's time that we, and, and I just have to say, my people in my own district couldn't understand why Mr. Floyd was killed and couldn't, un, couldn't understand the police issues around police misconduct and brutality and why all of a sudden recognizing that black, black and brown people have been, you know, treated, mistreated and brutalized in many respects in our communities um, through police misconduct and uh, didn't quite understand all of this. Well, they didn't understand why there's a disproportionate rate of black and brown people dying from COVID. And so I had to explain the whole issue of systemic racism and how that's related to 401 years ago in terms of the first enslaved Africans being brought to this country and the systems, the government sanctioned systems of enslavement that really have uh, come down through the generations. And not all of those um, institutions have been um, dismantled. And so these commissions require this country to have a truth-telling moment where it's so important that people understand and recognize the historical context for systemic racism because we have to get to the uh, bottom of it. And then the transformation is you have to pass, you have to repair the damage. When you look at inequality in this country as it relates to African-Americans, for example, inequality in wealth, inequality in education, the inequality in housing, uh, the wealth gap, when you look at mass incarceration, when you look at systemic racism and what African-Americans um, have had to um, fight against, we've made a lot of progress, but we're still fighting against it. But all of these issues can be, can be directly related to a system of government, a legal system of government that enslaved people for over 250 years. And so this commission is essential like other we should have led in this but we're at the you know we probably would be number 42 or 43 uh throughout the world so it's extremely important and um we're fighting hard we have over 100 co-sponsors uh it's a broad-based legislation to establish this commission and we're going to get it done uh any eta <laughs> in the last few seconds we have left <laughs> Look. You see how, how we struggle <laughs> through all of this legislation here. So this is going to be another interesting negotiation, but we're fighting hard to make it um, bipartisan, to make it broad based and get it to the Biden-Harris um, White House. We were able to, in the Democratic Party platform, write support. And I was on the drafting committee and the Biden-Harris administration um, helped us negotiate the proper language for their support in the uh, platform committee. So I've been in touch with the White House. Hopefully uh, we'll see them uh, publicly supporting it. And we're working hard to get it done. So there's no ETA because this process oftentimes is pretty slow. <laughs> but I've been trying to repeal the authorizations 
Yeah, I've been trying to repeal well, the authorizations to use military force for the last 15 years, and I hope we get it done this year, but I'm going to keep at it. Well, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. We've been talking with Congresswoman Barbara Lee of Oakland. You are listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Thanks again for joining us today. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.